This is Cardinal Francis George, and I invite you to join me for the next few minutes to reflect with Father Robert Barron on the Word of God, which is the Word on Fire. Father Barron will challenge us to open our hearts to the Word on Fire, which is God's Word of love for each of us. If our hearts are open, the Lord can change and transform us so that we might speak with love about the One who is love. The Archdiocese of Chicago, through the generosity of Sacred Heart Parish in Winnetka, now presents The Word on Fire. Peace be with you. Karl Barth, one of the greatest Protestant theologians of the last century, was asked toward the end of his life, what is the most important element in Christian theology that needs to be emphasized as we move into the future? Barth said, without hesitation, the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. Pope John XXIII, at the end of his life, was asked almost an identical question. What is the thing that we have to emphasize most in the Catholic theology of the future? And he gave, without hesitation, the same answer. The Holy Spirit. There was something about the 20th century that was alive, on fire, with the Holy Spirit. Think of the rise of the Pentecostal churches, beginning in 1906, when that little church on Azusa Street in Los Angeles inaugurated the Pentecostal movement, putting a great stress on the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Pentecostalism was, in the 20th century, the fastest-growing Christian denomination in the world. They say, if present trends continue, by the middle of the present century, Pentecostalism will rival Catholicism. And, of course, you know, within Catholicism itself, there was a great spirit revival, the charismatic movement. I want to talk to you the next several weeks about the Holy Spirit. And it's because the great feast of Pentecost is arriving, the feast of the sending of the Spirit. The church always does this in anticipation of a great feast. It'll tease us in the readings. It'll give us little hints to prime us for the celebration of the feast. And so in the readings the next several weeks, we hear an awful lot of talk about the Holy Spirit. Who or what is the Holy Spirit? Well, the Bible is very clear. The Spirit is not a force, not an impersonal principle, not an abstraction, not an it. But the Holy Spirit is a who, a person. He's called he, and he is personally active. The church, in its great tradition, is even clearer. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Blessed Trinity. I've often talked about this uniquely Christian understanding of God as a unity of three persons. The Father speaks himself. That utterance of his whole being is the Son, co-equal to the Father, like the Father in all things, except that he's not the Father. When the Father and Son look at each other, they fall in love. And the mutual love of the Father and Son is the Holy Spirit. I think I told you maybe many months ago, Fulton Sheen had a great image. He said, the Father and Son look at each other, and then in their love they, they sigh. And that breath, that sigh of mutual love, 
That's the spiritus. That's just a Latin word for wind or for air, or for breath. The spiritus sanctus is the holy sigh of love between the Father and the Son. And what we say is that mutual love is itself a person. Operative, active, personally involved in our lives. Remember the very beginning of the book of Genesis. We hear that the Spirit of God hovered over the surface of the waters. And then we hear this. God said, let there be light. Let us make man in our own image, etc. Well, who's the we or the us being spoken of but the Father and the Son? What's the Spirit hovering over the surface of the water? That's the Holy Spirit. The love between the Father and the Son is the power that makes the world. Yes, at the beginning of time, but also throughout time and throughout history, the Spirit is active, creative, enlivening. We say in the Creed that the Spirit spoke through the prophets. It's wonderful, isn't it? That God's love seizes certain people, enabling them to speak the truth. So the Spirit is operative in creation, operative in providence, operative in the words of the prophets. But the Spirit comes fully to historical expression in the great Paschal mystery. I've often said that all Christian preaching, all Christian life is about the Paschal mystery. The Father sending the Son into our human condition, and yes, even to the limits of God-forsakenness, seeking out even the worst of sinners. Then, in the power of the Spirit, calling the Son back to himself. That great rhythm is the Paschal mystery. But there's a final element to it that shouldn't be overlooked. Having brought the Son back to life, now the Father and the Son together send the Holy Spirit. Remember in John's Gospel, the risen Jesus appearing to his disciples, and then he breathes on them. There's that sigh, that breath. And he says, receive the Holy Spirit. Christians, picture it this way. Picture the Son going out from the Father. Yes, even to the limits of the world in order to embrace us. What's the energy or the power that links Father and Son? That is the Spirit. Therefore, through the Paschal Mystery, we are gathered into the Spirit. We now live in the divine love. The Christian life is living God's own life, a spiritual life. I don't mean that in some vague, generic way. I mean it's living in the Holy Spirit. What does this look like? Over the next several weeks, I'm going to talk more and more about it. Because especially in the letters of Paul, there's much discussion of what life in the Spirit looks like. But our first reading for today also gives us a picture. Philip, the apostle, goes to Samaria not long after the resurrection to preach the Christian mystery. The people there are galvanized by his preaching. They're amazed at the miracles he works, and they are baptized. But then the Acts of the Apostles tells us, that they had visits from two apostolic heavyweights, 
Let me read to you. Now, when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent them Peter and John, who went down and prayed for them, that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For it had not yet fallen upon any of them. Then they laid hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Peter and John, two of the most important of the apostles, go down to see what's been happening among these newly baptized Samaritans. And then they impose hands on them, very much like a bishop at confirmation, imposing hands. And the Holy Spirit rushes upon them. What's going on here? Here is an awakening of the gift of the Spirit, which is given in baptism. In baptism, we are drawn into the love between the Father and the Son, and that's going to look like something. It will look like, and here I'll use Paul's term. Paul says there are charismata of the Spirit, charisms. It just means gifts. But, you know, our word charismatic comes from that. Someone who's charismatic. There's something powerful and attractive about them. So these charismata, these gifts, are signs, listen now, that the Spirit of God is alive in us. Why are these gifts given? The Bible couldn't be clearer. These gifts are given not for our own entertainment, not for the building up of our egos. These gifts are always given for the edification of the church. Why did the Father send the Son? To save the world, to draw the world into the divine life. Why are the charismata given? They are given that we might continue the mission of the Son and draw people more and more into the divine life. Here's a nice quote from Paul to the Ephesians. The spiritual gifts are given for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. That's good. They're other-oriented. Not my charismatic power so people admire me, but gifts for service and the building up of the body of Christ. You know, Paul also says in 2 Corinthians, and it's a passage that gives me pause, I think should give all of us pause. Though the charismata are purely gifts, we don't earn them or merit them, Though they're gifts, we will, he says, be judged on the basis of how we use them. In baptism, we're given gifts of the Holy Spirit. How do we use them? How do we structure our lives around them? Do we build up the body of Christ with them? Paul says it's on that basis that we will be judged. In the course of his letters, Paul says there are 20 different types of charismata, 20 different types of gifts. What I'll do over the next several weeks is talk about those. How does Paul describe them? What are they? But for the moment, let me just uh, close with this. What are ways of discovering the gifts of the Spirit? How can we find them? Here's a first step realize that you have at least one. I don't mean that in a dismissive way at all. 
every baptized person has at least one gift. God never draws people into his life without equipping them with the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's what it means to live the divine life. Therefore, by baptism, everyone listening to me who's been baptized has a charismatic gift. First, we have a confidence that it's there. Second way of discerning your gift, pray. Christians, it's all over the New Testament. It's simply taken for granted that you must pray. First, that the gift be awakened. Lord, stir up this gift in me. Make it real. Make it alive. But a second dimension of the prayer, pray that you might discern the gift well. Lord, give me the light by which I can see my charismatic gift. Pray for its stirring up. Pray for its discernment. How often should you pray? Constantly. Whenever you pray, make this part of your prayer. Lord, stir up the gift of your life in me. Third step, examine yourself and your life and find those areas in which you have certain natural abilities, ways in which you are naturally drawn. You know, grace perfects nature, as Thomas Aquinas said. Grace works with nature. What are you naturally good at? Maybe you're a natural teacher. You're a natural leader. You're a natural listener. Maybe you effortlessly show compassion. Maybe you're especially good with the sick and the lonely. Well, these can all be signs of your charismatic gifts. So trust your natural inclinations. See where they lead you. Fourth and final recommendation, stay in touch with the church. The community of the baptized around you can help you discern your gifts. You know, I work here in the seminary, and this is very clear. Often, people here don't see their own gifts, and they needed somebody in the church, a pastor, a priest, a friend, to say, you have what it takes to be a good priest. So a final step, listen to those around you as they guide you to understand your charismatic gift. Let the Spirit come to life in you. That's your participation in the Trinitarian life. More about the Spirit next week. And God bless. I hope that you were moved today by the word on fire. I pray that together we might become a people on fire with love for God and neighbor here in Chicago and wherever these words are heard. Until we join Father Barron again next week, I'm Cardinal Francis George. God bless you. To purchase copies of the word on fire, call 847-297-4360. That's 847-297-4360.